0: you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ezra, and to Ezra chapter 10, the last chapter of the book of Ezra, and so we come to the end of our study through this book as well. And we'll be picking up here where, where David left off, so with verse 9 of chapter 10. May our faithful, merciful, kind God bless the reading of his word. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within the three days. It was the ninth month on the twelfth day, or twentieth day of the month. And all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increase the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is, time, is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two. For we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Hazel, and Jehaziah, the son of Tigfa, opposed this. And Meshullam, and Shebithai, the Levites, supported them. Then the returned exiles did so. Ezra the priest selected men, heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses, each of them designated by name on the first day of the tenth month. They sat down to examine the matter. By the first day of the first month, they had come to the end of all the men who had married foreign women. Now these were found some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women. Messiah, Eliezer, Jerob, Gedolia, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brothers. They pledged themselves to put away their wives and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. Of the sons of Emer, Hanani and Zebadiah. The sons of Haram, Esau, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jeel, Uziah, or Uziah. Of the sons of Pasher, Eloenai, Messiah, Ishmael, Nathanael, Dozabad, Elisah. Of the Levites, Jozabad, Shemaiah, Kaliah, that is Kalida, Bethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer. Of the singers, Eliashib, Of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telim, and Uri of Israel, the sons of Perosh, Ramiah, Isaiah, Mel- Melchijah, Mijem- Mijamin, Eliezer, Hashabiah, and Benaiah, the sons of Elam, Metaniah, Zechariah, Jeel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah, of the sons of Zatu, Enai, Elo- Eliashib, Metaniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza, of the sons of Babai, or Jehohanan, Jeho- Hananiah, Zabai, and Athlai, of the sons of Bani, or Meshalem, Maluk, Adiah, Jashub, Sheol, and Jeremoth, of the sons of Pahath, Moab, Adna, Kilel, Benaiah, Esaiah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Bez- Benui, and Manasseh, of the sons of Haram, Eliezer, Ishijah, Me- Mechilejah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shemariah. Of the sons of Hashem, Metaniah, Metatata, Z- Zabad, Zabad, Eliphelet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shemaiah. Of the sons of Bani, Ma'adai, Amram, Uel, Benaya, Bedaya, Kiluhai, Benaya, Meramoth, Eliashib, Eliashib, Metaniah, Metaniah, Jesu of the sons of Benui, Shemaiah, Shalamiah, Nathan, Adiah, Machnadabai, Shashai, Shara, Azarel, Shalamiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah and Joseph of the sons of Nabu, Jael, Matathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jadai, Joel and Benaiah. All these had married foreign women and some of the women had even born children. In life, there are times when you can't do anything but just sit there and weep. You know, Megan and I, we've had times like that, where we've just been undone by something, where we've just sat there and held each other and simply wept. And I'm sure if you're honest, you have had times like that as well. Where you have experienced times that have just simply broken you and you have been undone. Times when the only thing to do is to be broken, no matter who you are, whether you are someone who is or sees yourself even as someone who's tough Or you're tender. It's just right at that moment to weep. You know, King David, you know, we know of him, and most of you probably think of him as a warrior, but if you know your Bible, you also know that he was a man who wept. And as you walk through the word, when you see him time after time, you find him again and again as a man who wept of a variety of things. Now Jesus as well, right? Though he is fully God and fully man, and he knows all things and he knew all things, yet after Lazarus died, and even though he knew what the outcome would be, that he would indeed raise up Lazarus even... We still read in the Gospel of John those two words, right? Jesus wept. There are times when we just need to weep. Well, in Ezra chapter 10, this was one of those times. Ezra 9, it ended with Ezra, the priest, and the scribe. He was on the ground. And he was crying out to God. And so we see in Ezra 9, chapter 9, verse 5, and it says, And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And what followed was Ezra's humble prayer to God, a prayer recognizing that they had sinned and that they had sinned even... Very grievously against God by marrying foreign, pagan, unbelieving women. Now, if you have not entirely a full idea of what, where, or where that came from, intermarrying was a direct violation of God's covenant with Israel. And this was not the first time that they had done this. If you want to go and see this directly where God commanded them to not intermarry, to separate themselves from the peoples, you can go to Exodus chapter 34, verses 10 through 16, and Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4. And we saw that when when I preached through Ezra chapter 9 a few weeks ago. Now, the problem with intermarrying, it was not Racial, it was religious. The pagan peoples were and did lead the people of Israel away from God and away from his word and away from his ways again and again and again. They were to be a holy people even if there were foreign people among them, they would be a people who were holy, who bowed before Yahweh as their God and their only God. As we see as well with like Rahab and Ruth and others, right? So amidst all of this, this was supposed to be a time of covenant renewal among the people of Israel here among these exiles. It was a time of covenant fidelity after they had been brought back out of exile after they had experienced God's, and I mean it, immense mercy. And they had experienced it again. (laughs) And so this time was supposed to be different. This time they were supposed to be different. But they weren't and so it is we see Ezra's prayer in chapter 9 verse 15 it ended this way "O Lord the God of Israel you are just for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today we hold we are before you in our guilt for none can stand before you because of this And so chapter 9 ends leaving us with a question. It ends leaving us with this question. Where is hope since they sinned against God again? And so it is that chapter 10 begins here with Ezra really overcome. And I mean that as in really. He's not feigning authenticity here. It's not a show what he's doing here. It's real. And so we read in verse 1 that he was weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. And while he is doing that, while he is broken and he is weeping and he makes his prayer... So while Ezra was praying, we see the people noticed. So in some ways, as we look on and see this, I mean, being detached from this, we, we would be right, if you're right there among them, you, we would be right to say and even ask, how could you not have noticed Ezra there before the house of God? I mean, Ezra was not an unknown, unrespected figure. I mean, here was a man of God before the house of God, broken and undone, and he is there weeping. And so while he wept and he prayed, men and women and children began gathering about him, and they just join him there in weeping before God. And so they weep and they wept together there. Now as an aside, I mean, I just see this and I just think immediately of the church. Now they're not the church, but I think of the church and just learning even from them that they're they're here with Ezra and they just join in like weeping with him. I mean, is that not like make you think of the church and even how we are to be as believers in Christ? That we just don't go through life like on our own. But we, we gather and when we weep, we weep together. When we suffer, we suffer together. When we rejoice, we rejoice together like Corinthians says, right? I mean, lessons for us even just in seeing this. Or even if we have sinned, we weep together. We walk together through those things. but besides that though we see that there are times to weep and this was most certainly one of them now after he prays and he weeps one of the officials shechaniah he talks to Ezra and he admits it plainly they have not walked according to God's word they have broken faith, they have broken God's covenant. Yet it's here that we find something of an answer to Ezra's concern to the question where we left off with, or we were left off with from chapter 9, the question I mentioned a moment ago. You know, where is hope now? And almost as a direct answer to that, Shekiniah, he says in verse 2, But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Now we're right to ask, Well, Shekiniah, I mean, why is there hope? And the answer is because of God. A banking on God and his steadfast mercy and his continual, persistent, undeserved love. And we see all this. And we see this in all he says and all that he urges here. Their hope is not in them and it's not in their repentance. It's in God and it's in his mercy. That's why they have hope here. The hope is in not in their repentance, in and of itself. The hope is in a God who is merciful. And so he urges, Shechaniah urges that they make an oath, and that's just what they do. And their oath would be drastic, it would be all out, and it would be sweeping a radical sin called for a radical response. They must put away their pagan wives and their children also. What they had done was to be undone. And so this, as you can imagine, would not be easy. It would take resolve. It would take firm leadership. And it would require much of the people of Israel. And so Shechaniah urges Ezra... In verse 4, Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. And what does Ezra do? How does he respond? As a man of God living under the word of God, a man who is a godly leader and desires to serve the living God, he arises and he does it. And yet, maybe somewhat unexpectedly, we read on here in verse 6. After he does that, and they do that, and we see Ezra is still struggling. After they had taken the oath and everything else, he just withdraws from there, probably into one of the rooms that were part of the temple structure. And he goes and he just he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, he fasts. And he mourns. And he mourns of the faithlessness of the exiles. Ezra didn't do what we might have done in this scenario. He, he didn't buck up and say, All right, this is great. They took an oath. I mean, this is good news. We, we, they did all that. I mean, all this is done. You know, it's time to move on now, right? I mean, they did that. I mean, we're heading in a good direction. Let's move on to the next thing. But he doesn't do that. He seeks after the Lord. So in all this, as we see Ezra and as we see these people, in all this, we see an indispensable part of real repentance. Real repentance involves the whole person. Real repentance involves the whole person. And we see this in Ezra here. Even of the people here also, they are really overcome. Ezra wasn't faking. He wasn't simply going about as a people pleaser here. Like I hope they see what I do and they see me weeping. He wasn't doing that. He was grieved over their sin. And so it was that he prayed. So it was that he confessed. And so it was that he wept before God. You know, passages like these, I think they perhaps reveal how low of a view of repentance we have in our day. Yes, we're not to go around and go on feigning repentance. You know, making a show of it. So that when there's an altar call here, you just come down. And I hope people see that I'm really contrite. And I'm weeping here at the altar. You're right, we're not to do that. But neither are we to neglect the way godly grief over our sin does and will and even must affect us, it must move us and it must grieve us. you remember the if you know the words of Paul in second Corinthians, so here are the words of Paul as he considers the Corinthians and their sin and even their sincere godly grief over their sin he he wrote there in 2 Corinthians 7, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now that worldly grief, you could put all kinds of things right in that. You could put the person here at the altar hoping everyone sees them. Or maybe you're, they're there at the altar hoping that everyone is like appeased by them coming forward. Or maybe even earning maybe some sort of penance. Maybe I work hard enough and show I'm sad enough. That's worldly grief. But that's not what the Corinthians did. They had godly grief. And so he continues in Second Corinthians 7. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. And so godly grief, even the godly grief we see of Ezra here is right. It's the whole person. You and I are right to consider the nature of our repentance as well here this morning. As we look on at Ezra, as we see him weeping, as we see him confessing, as we see him as a broken man who will not eat. Our repentance is not to be a mangled, half sort of repentance, but it's to be the whole person, the whole self before God in repentance. Now, as you hear all that, it may not look exactly like Ezra here, though, right? It may not look like weeping and falling down and mourning. But it ought always be the whole person. A grieving up over your sin before God. Is that the way that you repent? Repent. Is that the way that you understand repentance? I mean, this kind of repentance is the kind of repentance that we see in Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's the whole person. Even if you're a believer here, I'm a believer here, we're called to this kind of repentance. We don't lose our salvation, but we have grieved God with our sin. We can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by our sin. And so we're right. It may well be that at the end of this sermon and the response song, you do come down, but your eyes aren't on all of us. It's only on God. I am repenting before you. Or if you're there in the pew, repenting before him with the whole person, the whole man, the whole woman. And so very fittingly then, we see the people here do just that. And they really repent. They really repent. So in verses 7 through 8, we see a proclamation is made for all the returned exiles to assemble at Jerusalem. And so they have three days. Otherwise, they'll lose their property and they'll be banned from among the exiles, from among the people of Israel. And so, of course... Very well, the question is hovering, will they do it? And they do. They take heed to the proclamation, and they gather in the month of Kislev, or December. And as they do, what we find next here is a trembling assembly, a trembling assembly. And I mean that in a number of ways, and we see that in a number of ways here in this passage. Now, on the one hand... They are trembling, and their trembling is due to what they had done. They realize and they recognize that they had sinned against God, and they had sinned against God grievously. And so there they are, trembling, and yet, very practically, and Ezra gives us this detail, even showing the humanness of all this. There they are, trembling, because in December it gets cold. And not just that, but there it is, and it's raining very heavily. And so they are literally trembling because it's cold and it's raining also. And so you can imagine the sight here. There they were, drenched, cold, trembling, and awaiting word from Ezra. And so Ezra then finally comes, and his words, they're brief, and he calls them and he calls for them to confess their sin and to repent. He does not mince words and he says in verse 11, Separate yourselves from the peoples of a land and from the foreign wives. And the assembly answers and they say they will do it. Yet they ask as they do it that the officials, they stand for them and to look carefully into all of these things. And so after three months, they finish their examination. And so it is that we have here in verses 18 through 44, a list of the offenders. We're given a list of all who were guilty of sinning against God by intermarrying foreign women. Now we read that list and maybe have a lot of trouble reading it. (laughs) But just consider, how mean, how would you like that? Being on a list like this. Not only for those there who are around you, who know and see you, That you're on the list. They know that you did this. And they probably already knew anyway. But now here it is in writing. So how would you like that? But then even beyond that, even having your name on that list to this day. That here I am in 2023, preaching from Ezra chapter 10. And we're mentioning all these people's names here. They made the list. You heard that they had sinned and you have their name that they specifically had sinned against God. Yet here they are. And notice as we read these final verses of Ezra, that no group is left out. The priests are here in verses 18 through 22. The Levites are here in verse 23. The singers are here. The gatekeepers are here in verse 24. And then many from among the people of Israel are there from verses 25 through 43. And so we see just how extensive their sin was. Like a virus spread, that it spread throughout and among all the peoples. And so it was here, people who really married these women who really had children with these foreign wives who really broke covenant with God. Real people, really living, really breathing just like you and me. And the consequences of their sin, it would go that deep as well. Into their life and into their families and into their homes and into the community. And as we read all this, we look on and we see all these things and we look on and just say this is all just very sad. And it is. We're not taken into the households of these families and of all these people. But you can imagine the grief, the heartache of separating from these foreign wives, of separating from these children. Yet as we see that, and even as we think of that, in all this, we're not to go on here and look on at these verses and these things and say, well, this is outrageous. That they would, that God would say they would separate themselves from their wives and children. This is outrageous. Now, maybe you are looking on at these things and maybe you're thinking that way. Now, I will certainly say that the world looks on and would think of it this way. But rather than seeing it that way, we are better to see and to say it like this. All of this is so broken. They would go and sin against God again. It's shown the mercy time after time after time. And they would rebel against his rule. They would rebel against his reign. And they would rebel against his word. They did this. And as I see them and their names on this list, I can't help but saying, really, I'm no better than they are. For one thing or another, you could put your name on that list too. I think that is the tone that we need to have in looking at these things. The responsibility of their sin and its consequences. Where does all that fall? It falls at their feet. Not God. Theirs. They brought this on themselves. They did this. And so also, as much as you might not like to hear it this morning, so also when we sin. When you sin and when I sin. So as we come to the end of this book, we see where hope is found. It's found in God. Not in us. It's not in our hands, and it's nothing that our hands might bring. Our hands and our ways so quickly distort, so quickly twist, so twi- quickly mangle, and so quickly mess things up. Time after time after time. How many of you have families that are perfect? No, you know you don't. (laughs) None of us do. Not even mine. (laughs) Hope is only found in God and Christ. Not us. Nothing in my hands I bring Simply to the cross I cling. And so we see here what real repentance looks like. Real repentance, as we saw a moment ago, it involves the whole person. But real repentance also accepts responsibility for sin. Real repentance accepts responsibility for sin. The nature of sin is we so often want to hide it. You don't want anyone to know what you're doing. You don't want to admit what you did and that you are the one that did it. Yet as we see here, real repentance addresses sin honestly. It admits wrong. This means you accept the consequences of your sin. Now we would all like to think... That our sin really, you know, it's not all that bad. to Act like nothing really happened after all. It's really not that big of a deal. But real life, friends, does not work that way. You see, people get hurt. Trust is lost. Years of hurt don't just go away in a day. This means... Brothers, sisters, friends, we must confess our sin. We must own up to it. We must say, I did it. I'm responsible for it. And the responsibility and the consequences for it fall at my feet. And in all that, as we do all that, None of that hope is looking to us, just as we see here. Their hope is not looking to themselves, but our hope is Christ. We go to him, we accept our sin, that we have sinned against you, O Lord. But Lord, you have paid it all. You have taken it all upon yourself, even as we take responsibility for the sin that we have done. And so real repentance accepts responsibility for sin and real repentance results in real change and in real action. It's not theoretical. It's not abstract. It's concrete and it's real. It's not just Grief or weeping or mourning, real repentance turns away from sin and turns away from self and it turns to Christ. I mean, like we see here in Ezra. It wasn't just a prayer. It wasn't just a confession. But it was action. A real turning away from sin and self. And we have numerous examples of this that we find in Scripture, but certainly one that comes to my mind anyway, is Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. Of course, you remember how he defrauded many. He took advantage of real people. Yet when he turned from sin and self to Christ, he said to Jesus in Luke, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Well, that's what we're to do as well. Now I'm not sure how the Lord might be dealing with you today as you're hearing all of these things. But like Zacchaeus, like the people of Israel it does mean you need to act. It might be drastic. You might need to break off a relationship. You might need to close your social media account. You might need to quit a job. It might mean mean saying no to a lot of things to prioritize the main things. But now, even here though, at this moment, also see the path for is is Christ-centered. It's faith in Him. It's taking all of that to Christ and asking Him again, Lord, make me new. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning. And so also, see here, An aspect of repentance that we don't often consider. That real repentance is a community affair. Real repentance is a community affair. Now yes, as you you see all this and you know your Bible, this is within the old covenant context under the Mosaic covenant, like Ten Commandments. But even as we move on into the new covenant, Christ has come, that we're in now, we don't see the communal nature change. But it becomes more profound. It becomes deeper. It becomes more needed, church. We need to consider just how deeply we have idolized the individual and we have even idolized our own individuality. And the consequences, church, of us doing this are great. We consider the consequences of our sin, of the self-made everything. And what are the consequences? It's why we have many people everywhere saying, even today, I decide who I am and no one else can tell me different. That's how we got here. How many of us right now in the church are functioning that way? And it has led to all this. Perhaps the reason many of us are struggling isn't because we need more of ourselves. But we need less. The answer is not found in you and in your family. It is found in Christ and his church. We need one another. and We need to stop fooling ourselves to think that we can make it on our own. We need brothers and sisters alongside us to encourage us to come with you and pray for you. You need a friend who will be there and they won't go anywhere. They're there to the end. And they're there to talk to and they're there even to correct you. That's what friends do. That's what brothers and sisters in Christ do. And so we see real repentance involves and even has this communal aspect to it. And then lastly, we see real repentance is grounded in the fear of God and in the word of God. Note how all of this, this repentance, it begins with the word. It begins with Ezra chapter 7. A man of God living under the word of God, aiming to lead the people of God. And so from then on in the book of Ezra, the word defines and is to define everything, even what we see here. And so the hope for you and for me is found in taking up the word of God. It's found in listening to, to the Word of God, and it's found in not turning away from the Word of God. And so this morning also, maybe it is that you have been toying about with some sin, maybe even for some time now you're still doing it, and you're going to go into this week and you're thinking, I'm going to continue in that sin. Well, you know my prayer has been for you throughout this week and even this morning, my prayer has been that the Spirit of God would bring you conviction for that sin. And you're probably like, wait, no, (laughs) please don't do that. Stop it. I I don't want that. But nonetheless, that is my prayer for you that the Spirit of God would convict you And I would hope and I pray that you would see that that is good. The Spirit of God's conviction over your life and in your life and over your sin is good. It is the mercy of God pointing you and directing you back to Christ. That's love, friends, on display. It's the love of God on display for His children saying, return to me. Cease walking in these ways. Hear my word this morning. And so, I hope that you want this. I hope that I want this. (laughs) And I pray that we all do. Real repentance. Because hope is not found in forsaking God. And in forsaking his word. And in forsaking this. Forsaking real repentance. It's found in hearing and receiving. And acting upon it. And so may you. May all of us here this morning. May we not be content. With a empty repentance. With a mere show. It's all fireworks and pyrotechnics but nothing more and it may be that you just need to see this morning that's how you came to Christ that even now you're realizing that I never came to Christ it was just a big show when I got baptized that's all it was it was a show people saw me get wet on that Sunday but nothing more that's part of my testimony my brother had got baptized at a church and on the way home driving home from church I'm sitting there next to him and we used to fight a lot and so I, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit him on the shoulder so I hit him on the shoulder and he didn't hit me back now that was a big thing <laughs> and so I said well I need to get baptized too then <laughs> And so I did. And I almost got fooled for the rest of my life thinking I knew Jesus and I didn't. I had no idea who God is, who Jesus is and what he had done. No one told me at that church. Well, maybe that's you this morning. You just feigned repentance. Well, I want to encourage you Don't look at us. Don't look at your family. Look at God. You need to deal with God this morning. Do you know him? Do you know Christ? And have you put your faith in him? Not in penance. Not in the church. Not in the people around you, but in Christ. So may not may it not be empty repentance, but real repentance, which may well mean that we need to do that. We need to weep. And you need to weep, and we need to weep as a church. If we do, let's do it. Let's not play around with these things. Stop playing around with repentance. Stop playing around with Christianity. This is no game. Christ lives. and are you living for him? Do you know him? So as we end this morning, having seen Ezra really overcome, having seen the people really repent, now may we, may you, may we, also really consider the nature of our repentance, the nature of your repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this book. We've had 10 Sundays walking through or 10 plus Sundays, can't remember, but we've had These Sundays walking through Ezra. Thank you for this mercy of being able to walk and study this book. Thank you of your mercy in giving us Ezra chapter ten. And our call this morning to examine our own lives, to examine our own hearts, our own thoughts, and to see whether There's sin in our life. And I know, Lord, every time I pray and I ask you to show me sin, you do. (laughs) You show me again and again sin in my life. And so I pray and we pray this morning that we would make that our prayer and ask, Lord, is there any sin in my life that I might be blind to that I don't see or any sin even in our our life in in this church that we as a church need to repent of? We as a people need to repent of. And if so, may we really be overcome and may we really repent this Sunday with all of ourself, with real action. Will you help us, Father? Help us to do it together. Help us to do it and hear your word this morning and act upon it. If that means for sanctification or salvation, we ask that you would do it this morning. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.